Welcome to The Hoop Commitment. I'm your host, Mike Nielsen. Join me every week to get inside the greatest minds in basketball nutrition, training, and leadership to elevate your game and improve the way you eat, train, and lead. Welcome to episode 78. Now, how about them Zags? I can't wait for tonight's Elite Eight matchup against USC. And no matter what happens, I'm so proud of the guys. I don't know if I've ever seen such a talented group play so unselfishly for each other. Pretty much every player in the rotation is a high-level scorer, yet they all share the ball and celebrate each other's successes. So, of course, I want Gonzaga to win it all. But we all know that anything is possible in March. And it's really just a gift that we even have an NC2A tournament after what we've been through this past year. And so today, I've actually got another gift for everyone. I'm interviewing my business partner and physical therapist, Brian Cronin. Along with Jeff Hart, the three of us started U-District Physical Therapy back in 2004 in a small building in a rundown part of Spokane. And it was a family event to get the building ready to open. We have parents, cousins, aunts and uncles ripping up carpet and painting walls. And now fast forward 17 years and we own a 25,000 square foot facility with a basketball court, an indoor field turf, and we have three locations with physical therapists, athletic trainers, and mental health counselors. And I'm not mentioning this to brag about me because I didn't have the vision at all. I just wanted to train athletes. It was really my two partners who helped grow the brand and the business. And not only is Brian Cronin a great business owner, He's also a great physical therapist who's known in the area for being a leader in sports rehab. But today, instead of talking about helping people when they're injured, I picked his brain on preventing or reducing the chance of injury. Here's Brian Cronin. Brian, welcome to the Hoop Commitment Podcast. How you doing? I'm doing great, Mike. I'm so excited to be here and uh, thanks for the invite and I'm honored to be here. Well, this is just another day for us. You know, we've been partners for over 16 years. And I always tell people that the best part of starting U District is our friendship. You and Jeff are two of the greatest guys, and you guys have taught me so much. So even though I joke a lot and say that it was my vision, I had this grand dream of what U District was going to be, I actually give you credit for it. So I'd love to start out by having you share your version of how we started U District. So we're, we're going to tell the truth now. Huh? <laughs> we're going to really uh, tell people what the vision was. Huh? All right. Well, it's probably... About 17 and a half years ago, I'm working north of Seattle uh, as a physical therapist at a great company, IRG over there. Appreciate them for giving me the start. And I was introduced to this concept of physical therapy and sports training, personal training, something that really was not well known, something that a lot of people were not doing. And I was introduced to this and, and I was really thinking, being from Spokane, Knowing the Spokane community, knowing that it's an active and sport-minded community, that this could really work. And so one of my classmates in physical therapy school, Jeff Hart, I called him up and said, hey, I'd really like to start my own physical therapy place. And here's kind of the vision. I would like to do more than just physical therapy. Let's do sports rehab. Let's do sports training. And he immediately said, absolutely. If you're, if you're involved, we're involved, let's do it. But then he followed it up in sentence number two is that if we're going to do this, I'd like to, to introduce you 
to Mike Nielsen, who, of course, being a Gonzaga fan, I knew who Mike Nielsen was, never met Mike Nielsen. But Jeff was working with Mike and, and yourself and saying that, hey, if we're going to do this, we should really entertain and make a pitch to Mike Nielsen, who is currently working as a strength coach at Gonzaga University, that we should have him on our team. And I said, let's do it. So I got on a plane. I flew over to Spokane. We had a meeting, kind of talked about the whole thing. Very unique to kind of go into business with somebody that you really don't know and certainly taking a little leap of faith there. But like you said, I mean, one of the best things about U District is this three-person partnership, the strength of the three people with different opinions, different ideas, but learning how to work together. And it was not easy. It absolutely was not easy. In the first couple of years, it was obvious that we had different learning styles. We had different communication styles. We had to learn how to be respectful to each other. We had to learn how to say no to people. We had to learn how to value a difference in opinion. And we had to work at it. So it was not something that we just started with at day one. We were very intentional about learning this process, thankful to uh, Shan Furch over at Gonzaga, who sat with us and really coached us on how three men is how to work together in a respectful way, how to communicate to each other, how to listen to each other. And it, you learn that it, it's totally okay to go into a situation, maybe your idea is not going to work. And then all of a sudden, value the other two is because maybe your idea now will become even better because of those other two people. So we had to learn that. It was not easy, but we were very intentional with it. So Yeah, you touched on that power of three. And we talk about the three planes of motion, and we talk about the mind, body, spirit. Three is this magic number on planet Earth. And I really do think it's a magic number for a partnership. And you're right. The first couple of years, it was so frustrating because I think I wished for two partners that thought just like me. And that's not the case. All three of us, not only do we have different thought processes, we have different personalities and different ways to kind of express ourselves. And so that was really challenging. But then you fast forward a few years. And that's what I tell people. If you want to get into a partnership, I really think if you're starting a business, one of the best things you could do is find two people with common hearts that think differently, that have different thought processes. Because I really mean this from the bottom of my heart. U District is way better than I ever thought it would be because of your guys' influence. And you've made me such a better father, friend, business person, because I already knew what I knew. And now I get to know what you guys know, which is so cool. Tell me about when we went and changed locations, because that was a huge turning point, I think, in U District. We started off at a, a place downtown and um, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe kind of share that whole story. Yeah. So, you know, real humble beginnings for three guys to start a business that did not have any money and had a few connections here and there. You know, we had to find financing. We had to go to the community to figure out how are we going to raise some funds to do this? And luckily we were able to do that. Uh, but we certainly started humble beginnings, a small uh, warehouse, 8,000 square feet, pretty rough and run down. We came in and we remodeled it. We pulled up the carpet. We were painting. We had family members in there helping us. You know, we did everything ourselves. And it was in a pretty rough part of town. No question about that. And three years into it, once we figured out, hey, this idea is really working. This is going to be sustainable that uh, this building and facility that we're currently in, in one of our, our locations, right next to Gonzaga, literally right across the street, 25,000 square foot warehouse office that we've really transformed and continue to transform into this state-of-the-art facility. 
that has gone from just a physical therapy place with a little training to personal training, to counseling, to a massage therapy, to chiropractic. It has really transformed. And, you know, we're so fortunate to be in this facility. We own this facility now, so we get to make all these changes. And now we've added a couple other locations in Kendall Yards and then also in Liberty Lake. So we're just so fortunate to go from, what, three, four uh, people on our team to over 60 people on our team. And boy, what a transformation in this 15 plus years to really go from, hey, let's try this idea. Let's cross our fingers. Let's work as hard as we can. Maybe this is going to work to now all of a sudden to where we are, just the incredible team that we have and just so blessed to provide all these services to our communities, but also even more as we're branching out into online uh, platforms where we're, it's not just in this great Spokane community, but it's reaching further beyond our uh, city. All right. So I got you on tape now. You recorded. I really want to know the truth. I know when the first time I walked into our Hamilton location, it was a uh, huge warehouse, Mountain Gear had, it was like their headquarters and I had like a 3,000 square foot training space at our old location. And then I walk in and it's like 18,000 square feet. And I'm like, this is great, but there's no way. You know, like I just thought it was this huge dream that was never going to come true. Be honest, how nervous were you? I mean, did you know that it was going to work at that point? Because when you brought me in there, I was like, I thought you were a little crazy. Well, I think this is now the power of having uh, partners that have a little bit different viewpoints or... But I knew at that three-year mark, as we moved into that facility, certainly a big facility, I knew we were going to fill it. I had never once questioned. Now, three years before that, in that first year, yeah, there was plenty of times when I'm like, oh, is this really going to work? How are we going to be able to pay the utility bill? How is this going to work? But at the three-year mark, no, I was full confident that what we were going to do, just because the programs that we did just made so much sense and the feedback that we were getting from athletes, from clients, from coaches, from doctors, they just knew something was going on that was different and in a powerful way. And I just knew, I knew it was going to work. Well, it's funny because we're almost exact opposites. I was so nervous for the second building. The first building, I was not nervous at all because when you have nothing, you have nothing to lose. Yeah. So I got these two great physical therapists. You know, I knew Jeff really well. We had been friends for years, but I just met you and you're like, hey, I got this vision. We're going to start this business. And I'm like, let's go. You know, I just never once had thought through the utilities and the lease and all that stuff. And so I think there's, it was kind of a blessing that I didn't know what I was getting myself into at first. Um, So it's kind of funny. We're almost opposite on those two buildings. Yeah. That's, that's why it can be a great compliment, you know, to each other for sure. Well, in addition to being a business owner, you actually work in the business. You're a physical therapist and you're really known in our area as an expert in rehabbing athletes. There's all different kinds of physical therapy and especially our downtown location, being next to Gonzaga Prep, having a contract with them and and Gonzaga University, NBC camps. We'd probably just see more, more athletes than anyone else in the whole city. And so I would love to hear some of your thoughts, not necessarily on the rehab, although we'll get to that. But on the idea of reducing or preventing injuries, if we could ever do that. I mean, is prehab really a thing? I really do. I do believe it is a thing. I think that for non-contact type injuries, because we know we can't prevent uh, and reduce every type of injury out there if we're going to be active, whether you're a weekend warrior or if you're on a sports team. But we can really reduce the amount of soft tissue, non-contact, biomechanical type of injuries. And 
just from simple muscle and tendon strains to ligament strains and tears. And, you know, even more catastrophic where we are injuring something that does require uh, a surgery. I, I think that the research does show this. If you are doing the right type of sport specific type movements and your stretching programs, your strengthening programs, your agility, your jumping, your hopping type of exercises, if they are three dimensional, if they are taking the body through all three planes of motion that is specific to what that body will have to do during sports or activity, I really do believe that you will see a reduction in the chance of injury. Well, I want to go basketball specific today. And when we think about hoops, ankle sprains are one of the first things that are going to come to mind. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on some things that players could do to reduce the chance of spraining an ankle. Well, part of it is luck. Is And I remember playing basketball growing up and is not stepping on another player's foot. I mean, that is certainly that is certainly part of it. But those non-contact where it's you're not an external force, the people that are working on three-dimensional ankle strengthening and balance, I really think they have a chance to reduce the chance of injury. Assuming that they're they're in the proper footwear, it's always interesting to me that the running shoe world has so many categories of shoes out there to really match the type of foot mechanics that that person has, a flat foot, a high arch, a medium arch. The basketball world really doesn't have a lot of that, which has always been kind of interesting to me. Why is the basketball shoe world never really made that transformation? But if you're wearing the right shoes and if you're doing the right type of preseason or off-season training, I think you can reduce the, the chance of injury. I think traditionally people strengthen the ankle incorrectly. I think a lot of the traditional strengthening is this open chain, four-way ankle type of exercise, which can serve a purpose, but I just don't believe that there is a carryover to, you know, what kind of band you're using, how many, you know, you're doing a couple sets of inversion, eversion, plantar flexion, dorsiflexion. I'm not sure that there is a huge correlation to reducing injury, but if you're, if you're on your feet and if you're doing top-down drivers, you're doing bottom-up drivers, you're challenging it with your eyes closed, you're challenging it with external weights and dumbbells and kettlebells and weight vests, you're making that ankle have to be stable with a maybe a, a moving surface that you're standing on, so we're driving it from the bottom up, BOSU ball, AirX pad, balance rocks, etc., or from the top down where your upper body is moving in all three planes of motion while you're on a stable on the stable ground. Plus perturbations. And so an external force is pushing you or bumping you or pulling you in different directions. People that are standing on these exercise devices and just bouncing a ball off the wall, it's okay. But what if that person is being pushed in multi-directions while they're catching that ball or they have a band around their waist or their knee or their upper body and somebody externally is pulling them in all sorts of rapid different directions that they can't anticipate? One of the keys, I think, is making the training subconscious so that you're not thinking about it. You're just reacting to that external stimulus. But if it's so conscious that, okay, we're going to put you in this and you're going to focus on this and and all you're doing is thinking about that external stimulus, you might be missing a little bit. So we want to make sure that that is subconscious, that you are thinking about maybe the ball that you are kicking or the ball that you are catching or throwing while you are doing that balance challenge and really strengthening that ankle, preparing it for something that it would have to go through during 
sport or activity. So when athletes are doing a program, you know, a lot of the high school athletes are already doing a strength conditioning class at school where they would be doing a lunge, a squat, a bench press, a pull up. Are these things that should be incorporated into warmups? Is this something that kind of flows as active rest? Where do you see some of these exercises? And, and then also maybe a follow-up is what does the progression look like? Because you, you named a lot of great things. Is it something where you're going two feet to one foot? Is it going conscious to subconscious? You know, Maybe talk a little bit about that thought process. Yeah, it seems to work really well in group training um, situations that it's done between exercises. So instead of having four or five people at the squat rack and, and one person's doing the exercise, one person's spotting, why not when you're done is that then, okay, now you're going to do this balance exercise. And then it's just constantly, you're, it's part of your active rest as you are actually training and maximizing. Because we know that we only have a certain amount of minutes per day to do this with people whether it's in a high school class or at the collegiate level, we have to maximize that at that time that we have there. You know, so I think it's great to be done during sets. There has to be a, a progression. And, you know, one of the keys with athletes is that it has to be a successful, repeatable movement that you can build on. If you set somebody up at this high level and they're struggling so bad that they don't want to do it or that all their experience in is failure, mentally, they don't want to do it, right? So we got to figure out, you know, we talk about level one is, you know, maybe it's two foot balance standing on the ground. And then we're going to go to one foot standing on the ground. And then maybe we're going to go to one foot standing on some type of balance apparatus, or we're going to start with the eyes closed progression. Obviously everybody is stood on one foot. You close your eyes. It's a whole different experience because you lose that visual stimulus. That's telling your brain where you are in space. So you have to be able to take, and you have to be able to assess each individual. Where is your starting point? There is no athlete that can max out a balance exercise. And I don't care who you are. And if the highest level, all the way up to an Olympic athlete, professional athlete, there's nobody that can max it out. You can, from weight vest to standing on different things, to eyes closed, to perturbations, nobody can max that out. And so you can always challenge anybody from a super low level. And we work with people that, uh, let's say geriatrics, that it's not safe for them to even stand on one foot. They have to be on two feet. We can work with them or even a high level people. Nobody can max out balance. Well, in the case where someone does sprain an ankle, and that's one of the things that you kind of taught me early on is the idea of not using the word injury prevention, because we maybe can't pre really prevent injuries. Injuries are a part of sport, but there's a lot of things that we could do to reduce it. But what are some of those tips to be able to getting people maybe back on the court a little sooner after they do tear or after they do sprain an ankle? And we've had good success with immediate icing, compression, elevation. As soon as you can get to that, not waiting 12 hours, not waiting a couple of days, but as soon as you can get to that rice principle to stop that inflammatory process, because the body always overdoes it. We've all seen that when you sprain an ankle and why does it look like there's a baseball on the side of my foot? Your body's overdoing that. So if you can stop that process you're going to have a dramatic decrease in that amount of time that you're going to be out of your sport. Because once you get all that fluid out of there, I think the healing process really starts and it can start really fast. If new blood flow can get to that area, if new blood flow cannot get there because of swelling, you are in for a longer rehab. No question about it. So get it iced, get it compressed, get it elevated, get off of it if you need to. And then eventually, obviously, get start moving. And I think that that's the other thing is where 
just this past week, we had somebody that sprained their ankle and they were you know, kind of went to the urgent care system and immediately put into a boot and x-rays were negative into a boot for two weeks. And they came to us at the two week mark. And I just, I was just very open and honest with them that I would not have done that. You know, maybe the first couple of days, but after that, I would not have been in a boot because I think your whole rehab and healing process has been slowed down because of that. But an injury that I worry most about, especially working with female athletes, is the ACL tear. And so I know that's probably maybe even your specialty. You see so many of them. Before the athletes come to you, before they tear their ACL, what are some things that you're having them do to hopefully reduce the chance of, of tearing an ACL? Well, it's interesting. A lot of it, it talks is the education is one of them is convincing people to stop playing one sport is getting people to be multi-sport athletes if they can, so that your body has the ability to experience multiple directions, multiple stresses, allows your body to potentially rest from one sport to the other. One of the huge reasons we, we've seen an increase is, you know, if you go back 20, 30 years ago, let's just take example, uh, a high school female athlete playing basketball. They weren't playing a hundred plus games a year. You had a a fall season, a warm up, you had your winter season, you had a little bit of some AAU and some summer camps. If you added up the number of games and then you saw what the amount of games potentially that same age group female would go through today, I think you'd be really shocked at the number of games that are going on, the number of tournaments that are going on that have double headers, triple headers, even in one day, playing five games in a weekend. So the opportunity for, for injury, I think, is greatly increased just by the amount of opportunity to, to play. So I'd be really careful looking at people that play one sport and they play it all year round. That would be one of my first strategies. And then if you're going to do that, and if, if that's really what you're going to choose to do, I think is some supplemental training that is looking at the other three-dimensional movements instead of just playing basketball is how, how are you moving in the other direction? How are you doing some, with some cross training to get your body to experience some other, whether it's conditioning or strength and rehab, things like that? How can you get some variety to that person? Well, that seems like a huge piece of the rehab process as well. I mean, you've seen the traditional protocols. You've been a PT for a lot of years. You probably know what some of your other colleagues around the nation are doing for ACL rehab. It seems like that three-dimensional approach or teaching the body how to decelerate motion in different angles has got to be one of the keys to a successful ACL rehab. Is that one of the biggest rocks that you see, or is there something that you see other therapists might be missing in doing rehab for ACLs? Well, you know, ACL rehab is really evolved and changed over the years. I've torn my left ACL two times and I learned a lot of that before I became a physical therapy. I just learned through experience of what traditionally was done with knee rehab and what worked for me and what didn't work for me. And there's been some really big changes, I think, you know, over the years, but traditionally a lot of people are so focused on the knee joint because that's what was hurt. That's what was surgically repaired that there's just, there's so much that they're missing that is going on above and below the knee. What are they doing at the ankle? What kind of strengthening and balance that we've already talked about today, but at the hip and at the core, what is the trunk doing? How are you decelerating the trunk around the knee? The traditional I'm doing quad, hamstring, calf, 
strengthening, you really are, you're missing it. You got to figure out how to incorporate the total body to it. And then you really have to get into proper landing and jumping mechanics. And there's a lot of people that are just predisposed biomechanically to poor technique and poor landing ability. And they get into it, it sets them up for, they've got them into the trouble potentially in the first place, but then also for future injury, whether it's on that repaired knee or on the other knee. Um, and we do see that where if we don't fix some of those mechanics or improve them, you're going to do them a little disservice uh, and they're going to potentially have more injury. I think one of the recent big changes that we see in the ACL world is that there was definitely a period where we accelerated ACL programs were kind of the hit. And, and we had people that actually called our office and as they were interviewing us, they would say, well, when could my son or daughter return to, to play? When, when are you going to release them? And early on, there was a push to get people back at six months. But I, I know when that person hung up the phone, they're calling somebody else. It's like, well, could you do it in five and a half? Could you do it in five? And what we're really seeing is that it's the pendulum is swinging back the other way where we're not being as aggressive and pushing it, where we're trying to go to longer time frames before. Certainly now past six months. Can we be eight months? Can we even be nine months from the surgery? But just because me personally experiencing it, but talking to so many people over the years is that almost every ACL, if you ask them, how did your knee and body feel at the one-year mark? They very much would say, oh, my knee was so much stronger. I felt so much more confident. I was doing so much better at 12 months than I was at six months. Then you ask those same people, well, how did you feel at one and a half years at 18 months? A lot of people were like, that's actually the kind of the sweet spot where I felt I wasn't thinking about my knee anymore. I wasn't concerned about it. I had total confidence in it. it is even well past one year, all the way up to a year and a half. So it's really kind of pushed us to think about slowing down some of this return to play just to decrease the chance of injury, improve their confidence and their experience with it. But then we also just have to think about that knee. What's that knee going to be like in 30 years? If we really want to protect our athlete, I believe that pushing them, being a little bit more conservative, just makes a lot of sense to me. Well, that confidence piece is so huge. You know, we know that the athletes are more than just a body. They're a mind and a spirit. And at U-District, one of the biggest uh, improvements I think we've made to our business is adding the mental health component. I just feel like that's such a huge component, not just for athletes, but for all of us. When you're rehabbing someone, how do you kind of deal with the mental, the confidence piece of things? Yeah, it starts the, the very first day that I meet people. You know, you have to think about the ACL injury. It's a traumatic event. First of all, it hurts. It really does hurt. It's painful. And then you get to go through a surgery that's pretty painful. And you get to start this rehab process and people are just, they do not want to re-injure. They do not want to go through that experience of pain and lack of ability. They just do not want to go through that again. So you have to start from day one, I believe is really setting small objective goals that they can experience success. And then you have to really authentically celebrate it with them. And it really starts from day one because everybody comes in knee swelling. They come in with decreased range of motion. They come in with decreased quad firing uh, gait. And so you right from day one, you're okay. You come in, you're, let's say you're 90 degrees of knee flexion from day one. Hey, the next time I see you, I want you to be at 105 degrees. We're going to, I want you, this is your mission. You are going to focus on this. They come back in, you challenge them. They show you 105, you celebrate it with them. 
and they start building confidence little step by step. Then you get them up walking and you get them, you teach them how to walk correctly and you celebrate that. And you start talking about balance and you get them the first time that they can balance for 10 seconds. You celebrate that and you just keep building and building to the point where you're doing a step down, you're doing a, a lunge, you're doing eventually, uh, you know, some small agility or some light jumping. And you just put out objective goals for them because a lot of people just, they do well with, here's the number that you need to get. And then next time I want you to, this, you're going to go practice this at home. And then when you come back, we're going to test this. And it just kind of drives it, starts building confidence through that process. When you're, we're like, okay, you're ready to go start training and start running and jumping. They're not going to look at you like, oh, are you sure I can do this? Or I just am not ready for that. We want the answer to be good. I'm tired of doing this other stuff. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go train. I want to go train with Mike Nielsen and get ready to go. I love that. You know, I think as we just train in athletes, there is the program design piece of it. And that's physiological and it's biomechanical. And then there's that piece that is the mind spirit. And, and I know you buy into it so much. You actually started a leadership program for our team, for all our employees at, at U District. Tell me about that whole process and what kind of sparked you to do it? Yeah, this has been an amazing journey. And I really think 10 years ago, I started studying more about leadership development for myself personally, and then for the team. And, you know, I was very blessed to learn and study under Shan Furch about the servant leadership idea. And as I was studying this, part of it is improving your listening skills, your listening skills to your, well, to your patients, to your athletes, but to the people that are on your team, your coworkers. And one of the questions that we brought to our team maybe four years ago is, what else can you district as a business, what else can we do for you? And one of the common answers was, we'd like to learn more about the leadership that we see, witness, feel, experience here every day at U District. So literally just went home and, you know what, let's, it's kind of how we do things is let's figure this out. Let's design a, we just picked a one-year program. It's a 12-month program to develop people's leadership skills. So we wrote the first program. We launched that first program three years ago. We had six people on our team go through it. It's open to anybody and everybody. This is not for, you don't have to have a title of manager or owner. This is for everybody. And that's kind of one of the core principles of servant leadership. It's anybody that can serve or wants to serve, you can be a leader. And so we took six people through it. It became very obvious in the first couple of months that this is a very powerful tool that we're going to use for indefinite time. So we decided to... Let's get Mike Nielsen involved. Let's get my wife, Christine Cronin, involved with this. And she started to rewrite the program to make it our own copyrighted program in our own words. So we weren't just taking photographs or photocopies of different things and piecing it all together. Let's make our own. So we made our own leadership program, the U Inspire Leadership Program, kind of playing off the U District U. And we copyrighted our own program. So in year two, then we had six, another six people. In year three, Currently, right now, we have 10 people signed up. Plus, along this journey, just from talking to people, we're talking to a lot of outside businesses. And essentially, they're, so how's your day going? What are you doing today? So I'd tell them about the leadership studies and the leadership meetings that I would have with people. And then they would come back in the next visit and be, I really would like to hear more about that. I think I would like my business to go through that. 
So we have multiple businesses and individuals that are not part of U-District, and they can be in any type of field out there that are interested in going through our leadership program. So yeah, we're really excited to have a formal leadership development uh, program to help people along their journey. And if you could be, you know, you could consider yourself a level one leader or a level five leader, and it's just taking you through that journey and leading you through that. And it's been really transformational for our team, but then also for the people that get to lead it, including myself, where I really feel like my leadership skills have really been sharpened. I think it has really helped us during a global pandemic on how our business is going to not only survive, but could we actually thrive during this? It has really, really helped us get through a global pandemic. And so we're just really excited to keep developing leaders on our team because we believe everybody in any position, any location is a leader and can be a leader and can be worked on. Well, I'll echo that. I mean, I think the content of the leadership program is so good, but one of my favorite parts is the structure where I get to take this year, I'm taking two uh, of our team members through the leadership program and you do a monthly one-on-one meeting. And it's so good because it's great for the team culture. It's great for the team member that's learning the information and experience it. But as a person like me that's facilitating it, I think I get as much out of it as they do. Maybe even more because the second time through the program, you dig a little deeper. You have to ask, why, why did I answer that last year? How has that changed? And now the third year through the program. And so I know I've grown as a leader. It's huge for the relationship piece. You know, now that I'm at Gonzaga most of my day, a lot of times I don't get to see the team members and have sit down conversations. So every month to be able to meet with one of our physical therapists and talk about stuff that's kind of counterculture. You know, most of the time you talk with your buddies and you might be talking about sports or the weather, but you don't dig deep into some of these things that are really meaningful that can change lives. So I'd love to hear you've gone through these three years as well. How has it personally helped you as a leader? Yeah, I think that uh, one has helped develop and identify strengths and weaknesses, and we all have them. But if, you, if you're not willing to sit down and really look into it, you, you know, how can you have a growth mindset and how can you get better at, at the things that you're doing? I mean, it's great to have strengths, but are you getting better at your strengths? And it's okay to have weaknesses, but are you identifying some of those and seeing if you can work on that? Or if you do have that weakness, you better surround yourself. And I think we do a good job of that too. You better surround yourself with, with people that complement your weaknesses so that you have a better team. And so it's just been a process. Right now, I'm taking five people through it. So I get to have five monthly meetings. So it's like I'm personally going through leadership five times every month. And I get to work on working on my communication. I'm working on my listening. I think it all starts with listening. And if if you would ask me what kind of listener I am, if you would have, you know, 15 years ago, I would have said, oh, I'm a pretty good listener. But then you actually start learning about what does a quality listener look like and act like and communicate. I, I was like, oh, I'm very actually poor at this. <laughs> so this is something that I need to get better at. And the nice thing is, is that there's a huge carryover to your personal life. I think that the people around me, including my wife and other family members and my kids, my three kids would say that my leadership skills at at home are a little bit better. And you know how you get humbled about leadership is you go home and you try to be a leader with your family and your kids. That is a humbling experience where you come home and you're like, you know, today I had a pretty good day at the office. I had a pretty good day leading the team of 60 people. And then you come home and it's like, holy cow, I... (laughs) I'm not sure anybody's listening to me or following any directions or 
where did all my skill set go? But that's a great place to find out uh, where you are and work on your weaknesses. But uh, just having the top of mind to work on it is pretty powerful. So we have a lot of coaches you know, players, obviously, probably have a lot of parents that are business owners that are thinking, I might be interested in something like this for my business or for my team. Where can people find out more about the You Inspire Leadership Program? It's simple as of right now is just go to our website, the udistrictpt.com, and you'll see one of those tabs that talks about leadership. And it will kind of have an overview of the leadership program and what we're doing and how we vision that to progress over the years, what we're doing with our team, but then also the structure that we are using with outside U District employees and businesses and entities and nonprofits. Uh, we're also developing a high school curriculum so that we can go in actually into the high schools and work with students and student athletes in the high school and develop their leadership skills. So if you just go to that website, it will have all that information. And then certainly we're very accessible. We're easy to get a hold of. Email us, call us. A lot of people send me questions via email, brian at udistrictpt.com. Easy way to get a hold of me. And what about people that live in that greater Spokane area that want to come, you know, and, and check out the rehab process. I have a ton of friends, acquaintances that call me up because they know I'm involved in the physical therapy business. And they'll say, hey, my knee's bugging me. I don't know if I need therapy or if I need to go to a doctor. Is there a way that we can help some of those people? Yeah. One of the services that we've always offered and we're glad to do for our community is, you know, free injury screenings. Call us up and ask for a free injury screen. You get to meet with one of our incredible physical therapists can be maybe 15, 20 minutes, meet with them, talk with them, have them help you point you in the right direction. And, and sometimes people will come in and say, well, I think you just need to do it. Here's a couple exercises. Try this. And I think you're going to be just fine. Go try that. Or you know what? I, ooh, this, this looks to be a, like a torn rotator cuff. Uh, we need to get you into some orthopedic evaluations. Or we think you might be a great candidate for physical therapy. And so we can, we offer that glad to do it. We want to help out our community in that way. So get one of those free injury screenings, just call any of our locations and they'll set you up. I love it. Well, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time. I really mean that from the bottom of my heart is, you know, starting U District uh, has been a fun journey and mostly because of you and Jeff. And so thank you for your friendship. Thanks for your mentorship. Thanks for everything you've done for, for my family and for the community. It's a true honor to be your business partner. Well, it's, it's, it's such a rarity, I think, in today's age to have such mutual respect for each other. And I can say the exact same thing about you and Jeff. And so lucky to be a part of it. Proud of you guys. Love you guys. Just awesome. I uh, love you too, man. Now that's a wrap on episode 78. And I hope you join me next week where I get to interview former Zag and current pro player Jeremy Jones. I've always been impressed with his work ethic and the way he takes care of his body. So I brought him on the show to talk about how basketball players can realistically fuel their bodies for optimal performance. So if you want to step up your nutrition, you want to listen to how Jeremy Jones shops and prepares food so he can be his best on the court. And all of you who are committed will earn your X. Ex-